that's, that's my verse for tonight. No, I, <laughs> amen. <laughs> amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I love the, the Bible memory, the, the verses. Um, it is, is, is something we do in our church here, and maybe we'll take some of the, the children's things home. Our memory verse for this month is uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Uh, it is memory verses. It's good. It's something that we should never grow out of, uh, and it helps us keep our hearts and our minds sharp for the Lord. Uh, and speaking of verses, let's take our Bibles, your copy of the Word of God, and go to the book of Philippians. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3. And this is something that uh, we've been going through in our church uh, back in or over in Germany. Uh, we have been since about 20, let's see here, 2019. No, 20, yeah, 2019. So January 2019, uh, the Lord led us to just dive into what I've called scripture immersion for our church. And what we do, we just grab a hold of a book and... We, we, as a church, as many people as, as are willing, of course, we read the entire epistle every single day. Uh, like, for example, we are in the book of Philippians, and it's four chapters. So we, as a church, we read on, on your own, of course, as a part of your devotions. We read all, through, all four chapters every day for an entire month. And then during that month, we preach through uh, certain messages uh, out of Philippians. And Philippians, we've been doing for two months. So we're in August, of course, we're, we're still in the book of Philippians. But I must say, I started this in January 2018 with the book of James. And the book of James was such a blessing to us, we decided to do two months. And then we stopped and we went to a different book. And that's when all the COVID stuff happened. So I think we should have stayed in James. So maybe that, maybe that would have made a difference. But anyway, we, we continue to move forward, and here we are in Philippians, and uh, we were going through the prison epistles uh, back in Holmfels uh, Baptist Church. Uh, but let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 3. I want to read to you the entirety of all 21 verses there. We won't preach through the entire chapter there, but this is very important the way the Apostle Paul uh, lays this out for us. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but, the, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if any... And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for... For you, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for salvation, Lord. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this church. We thank you for loving us, Lord. Lord, fill us tonight with your presence. Lord, fill us tonight with uh, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, be among us, Lord. Lord, when we depart from these uh, from these walls, Lord, let us know that we've been with you. We've met with Jesus tonight, Lord. Lord, help us to see you high and lifted up, Lord. We've already sang to you in worship. We worship to you in song, Lord. Hey, help us to worship you in, in, in the reading of your word, in the preaching of the word. There's power in the preaching of your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just convey that uh, through me today, Lord, and, and help us to see you, to see only you. Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin by saying thank you to, to Pastor Josh here. He's, he's, uh, he's our pastor. He's been here for a number of years. And to preach behind any pulpit, I don't take it lightly. It's important to me uh, to, to make that recognition here. Uh, but thank you again all for, for being here. And I love preaching. I love getting into the Word of God. And I've already mentioned that we've been immersed in the book of Philippians. So I might go over some things that... Uh, we will definitely go over some things that that would require some deeper some deeper studying in there. Uh, but this text tonight, I'm going to preach. I've already preached to my church in Germany uh, about a, three or four weeks ago, maybe. We've already went through this, and it's it's in the middle of a series. Uh, but it's one that I thought was. Let me rephrase that: that the Lord gave me liberty and even peace to preach tonight, and and by that His allowing me to do so, there are something in the text, in the words tonight, that is for us. And I don't know what our hearts are, what your hearts are. You don't know what my heart's, um, what, what my heart is like. You've never known that, and I've never known yours. I didn't know it when I wrote this, even in my own church back in the States. But God does. He knows each and every heart. And for some reason, this is the text God wants for us tonight. You know, the first part of this chapter, God through Paul, uh, I preached a message through here about the middle there, beginning uh, right around verse 7 and 8. He talks about being a loss for the cross, that, that Paul presents all that he is, a loss for the cross, a loss for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of verse 8, he gives us a reason why we are to count all things a loss, and that is that I may win Christ. Now, there are some more things in there, but we are to count all things lost, all that we are, all of me, all my desires, all, all my past, present, and future, everything that I am, a loss for the Lord Jesus Christ so that I may win Christ. And in verse 14, we've already read that, but it says that he presses toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Now, when I say that verse, my wife says I sound like I'm still in Tennessee. I guess a little bit of that accent kind of kind of goes in the Germany, but I don't know if y'all hear it or not. Probably not. Y'all probably think I sound weird with the accent I have. But whatever the case may be, we are to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that word press is interesting. It means to follow hard after, to run after with all of one's measured strength, like in a marathon, or, or to press forward to accomplish a task or to win a race in this case. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is the title of this message, The Race Set Before Us. The Race Set Before Us. And I want to point out that Paul is running, Paul is pressing toward a prize. He's not pressing toward a gift. And you might ask, what's the difference? Well, the Bible tells us here that he's running for the prize. Look down at verse 14 again. Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's clear or it's, it's important to see that he's not running for redemption. He's not running for redemption. He's running for a prize. Our redemption is never a prize. It's never something that we can earn. Salvation is not a prize. It's a gift. You all know very well in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the race Paul refers to is not a race that when we get to heaven, we can. it's not me and Joshua being, look, I, I did this better than you, or you did this better than me. It's not a race that we can boast in when we get there. The only glory in we were doing heaven is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this race down here that we are in, we are not pitted against each other. The Christian life is not a competition to see who can be the best. It's not a competition between Christians, between churches, between anything. It's, it's to serve the Lord. In fact, if it were that style of race, we would all be probably competing against the Lord Jesus Christ. And none of us would win. We are to press forward simply because he is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our all. But even though this is not a race for redemption, this race Paul writes about is a race for the redeemed. We are in the race. We are in the race. The journey Paul refers to is reserved for new creatures in Christ, reserved for the redeemed, if you will, reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and the eternal forgiveness of, for the eternal forgiveness of sins. You know, this journey begins with with our acceptance of that, to believe and receive, as John talks about, believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We all enter at the foot of the cross, and it's, it's level at the foot of the cross, so there's no pole positioning, if you will. If you know a little bit about racing, you know, they, 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 they race certain cars to qualify, and who gets the best time gets that best position in the pole position. So when they run that race, they're a little bit ahead of the others. There's none of that in the Christian life. We are all equal in Christ. We all begin on the same footing. And that same footing, praise God, is not on our righteousness, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So this race is not a race to earn or keep our salvation. It's a pressing toward a prize, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we are to run for him. We are to live for him because we are redeemed. Because we are redeemed, not to be redeemed, not, and not even to keep that redemption. You know, on July 1st, 1972, I was born into this world, to my parents, of course. And even throughout my childhood and even a little bit into adulthood, 
I've, uh, I just shared, I've just spent a couple of days with my parents just, uh, just last week, and I shared with them, there, during my childhood, there are some times when I wanted to please them. It should be all the time, uh, but I wanted to please them, and I can easily liken my, my maturing, if you will, to a race, my childhood to a race or a journey. And in that race, I have endeavored for the most part of my life to endeavor to, uh, to please them, to have that, to press toward the mark of parental approval, if you will. And even though I failed them from time to time on, on a number of occasions, which we will not get into, one thing has always been true. I've always been their son. It's never changed, even when they might have not wanted me to be their son. But they can't change that. And while my behavior, my obedience, and all those things that I do on my own may have affected my fellowship with my parents, it never affected my relationship. I was always their son. Even they couldn't undo that. It had no bearing. My behavior had no bearing on my position as their son. And I think the same, I know, I'm convicted that the same is true of our journey with Jesus Christ. We are in God's family. Our behavior may not always reflect our belief, but we are in God's family. What did Nicodemus, or what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. I think it's important that God called it a birth because births are irreversible. Uh, I have asked the question before, who, raise your hand if you can be unborn. Obviously, that's a ridiculous question because none of us can be unborn. The same is true of our spiritual walk with the Lord. We are born again by faith, and it cannot be changed. Again, our behavior may not always reflect our belief. Our practice may not always reflect our position. But if you are in Christ, you're in Christ. You're in Christ, you're in Christ, and you are in this race, Paul speaks of. And so we must press toward the mark to win Christ, to run our race, to keep the faith, if you will. And if for no other reason, again, he's worthy. He's worthy. You know, have you ever met? I hope so. But isn't it not refreshing when you meet a new friend and you find out that that new friend is a Christian? And not just the world's definition of a Christian, but the Bible definition of a Christian. I mean, somebody who is sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who has counted their life a loss for the cross, a real Christian, someone that mean Christ means something to them. It's not just a name, but it affects their character, their behavior, all that they are. And I'm not talking just about churchgoers. I'm talking about people who have given their all for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just pastors and missionaries. That's for all of us. Christians who count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, all things. Look at verses 10 and 11 again real quick, if you don't mind. Verse 10 says, Paul writes under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that I may know him, that's Jesus Christ, of course, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In other words... If you put those things, I have a whole message from those two verses there, but it all boils down to this. There is no new life without the death of the old man. We cannot live a resurrected life in this life if the old man isn't dead. This is true of salvation, and it's true of sanctification. We cannot live a resurrected life without death to self. That's true of all of us. So regardless of... Where we are in this life, we must count all things a loss for the cross. We must run our race like there's no tomorrow. And regardless of where 
or how much we think we've attained as Christians. Some of us, maybe we've been a Christian for a year or a couple months or maybe even many more years, and we, we believe maybe we've reached this certain height. But regardless of what we attain in this life, as long as we are on this side of heaven, it's not over. And once we believe we have attained, my father told me many times when I was a young man, he was actually teaching me something about welding, which never stuck with me. Um, he gave me this block. It was, a, it was a flat piece of quarter-inch steel about this big. And he said, when this thing is about four inches thick, you can be a good welder, and then I'll train you how to weld. Um, I went like halfway, and I threw the piece of steel away. <laughs> but he told me something that stuck. He said, if you think you're good at something, you'll never get any better at that certain thing. And I think the same thing is true of us. If we think we've arrived as Christians, we're never going to grow anymore. And Paul writes here in verse uh, 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And in verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended. So knowing that he falls short of God's glory, and at the same time knowing that he has received the righteousness of God by faith, Paul pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. He pressed forward because of Christ. He pressed forward out of a deep gratitude for what Christ had already done for him. You know, there's no greater prize than what God has given us in Jesus Christ. It's just not going to match that. What's that, uh, the song that talks about, you know, when we see Jesus, everything in this world just gets dim. And that's true. I, I think of that, that passage there that Jesus says, blessed is the pure in heart, they shall see God. Now, that's true, literally speaking, uh, later on in life, but it's true also in this life. When we live pure lives, we start to see God moving among us. There's so much for us to live for, much to run this race for. You know, all the teaching and preaching from any pulpit done at any church, it really shouldn't have to be about prodding Christians to live more for the Lord. It should just be some reminders, some, some empowering messages. I mean, if you think about it, what more does God have to do? What more can be asked of God, of a God who sacrificed his only begotten son? What more can he do? There's nothing more God can do. If there was, he would have done it. But he gave his only begotten son so that we can live nominal Christians? I don't think so. To give our all. What's the passage tonight? Romans 12.1. Beautiful passage. I think what Paul is trying to get across tonight is that while he hasn't himself reached practical perfection, he admits that here, and while he will not reach that practical perfection in his life, he will still strive to please Jesus Christ in every aspect of his life because Jesus is worthy. And because Jesus Christ is also our blessed Redeemer, our takeaway in that text is that we too are to strive in Christ that we may apprehend that for which also we are apprehended of in Christ Jesus. We are to press forward. We are to run. We are to reach. Why? Because we love him. Because Jesus paid it all. Because he's worthy. Romans 12.1 again states that we should uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and that it is nothing more than reasonable. I love that. It's nothing more than reasonable. We're not going to do that and get an award, a medal of honor for going above and beyond the call of duty. It's reasonable to give our whole life to Christ. He's worthy. And with all the crazy things going on, speaking about running this race, especially there in Germany, I've shared with some of y'all earlier that, you know, we have to wear masks when we sing. We have to sit here. All of y'all not wearing masks, I can see your faces. There's people for a while there. There were people in our churches I had never seen this part of their face. 
when I saw them outside, I'm like, that person looks very familiar. And, had, and recently we've, we've started to meet outside in tents, and, the, and the, the German authorities have allowed us to remove our masks when we're sitting outside. Uh, so that's a blessing. I got, just got a picture from one of my uh, workers there of, uh, of a church meeting outside, no mask, singing. It's great. It's wonderful. But there are some worries about some tightening down. But we're still going to praise the Lord. We're still going to praise the Lord. And with, we're still going to run our race, if you will. And with all, so with all those crazy things going on, isn't it refreshing to know that there's one race, one prize that's still worth it all? That's not going to change. It's never going to move sideways. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. There are no tricks in serving Christ. Jesus never loses value. And the word of God here in the text here tonight, I'm going to give you three things. Well, Paul gives us three things, really one, one overarching thing and three uh, subtitles or three uh, outlines, if you, if you will. Uh, through Paul gives us what we're, how we are to run this race. Look again at um, verse, let's see here, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I want to focus first on forgetting the past. So if you're taking notes this morning or this evening, write down forget the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. You know, I want to point out that God in this text here did not inspire Paul to write that he has no recollection of his past. I mean, God is omniscient. God knows all. He's, that would be an illogical statement. No, no mature adult can erase the memory of the things in our mind. This is telling us not to be controlled by the past. God doesn't forget our past. I know that Hebrews 10.17 states that God will not remember our sins or our iniquities, but this is not divine memory loss. It's a choice not to remember. It's a choice not to allow our shortcomings to influence his view of us as worthy to be redeemed. Aren't you great? Aren't you, aren't you happy and glad that God chose us worthy to be redeemed? That blows my mind. What is man that thou art mindful of him? By not remembering, God chooses not to be influenced by our past, our sins, and our iniquities. God doesn't ride us over repentant sins. Unrepentant sins, he might get involved, but when you repent... And you turn from that certain sin. When I turn from that certain sin, God doesn't bring those things up anymore. He doesn't ride us over those things. In James 1.5, the Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, liberally. And this next word, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. And upbraideth not. That word means he doesn't throw it back in your face. He doesn't, you know, I picture it sometimes where... My father would be dealing with me, and he tells me to do something, and I don't do it, or he tells me not to do something, whatever. I'm disobedient in some, in some way or fashion. And then when I figure it out, I go back to him, and I tell him he's right. And if Johnny were to do that, I would tell him, well, I told you so. I told you you should have listened to me. Well, God, don't do that. God upbraids not. He says, just come. Repent and come, and it's done with. We're never going to bring it up again. He doesn't say, I told you that, I, that that was going to happen and you should have listened to me. In Romans 10, 21, Paul records God in the Old Testament. He says, all day long I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. I mean, think about the, the children of Israel. All the things that we think they've done wrong. I mean, we don't want to talk about us. We don't want to put us in that category. But we look at the children of Israel, and God still says all day long, just come. Just repent. And this is sort of what Paul's getting at here. God is not overly concerned with our past. Why should we be? 
Listen, we cannot please Christ. I cannot please Christ if I'm holding on a grudge, if I'm holding on to something between me and my wife. I can't even preach straight when when I'm not right with my wife or my children. We've all heard the stories. Hey, Bob, why don't you talk to Susie anymore? Well, she cut me off in the parking lot 35 years ago, so I don't want to talk to her. And then, then as you, if you have a, an argument with your wife maybe and then you have that thing when you forgive and she apologizes, whatever. It's probably the other way around normally. But then like 10 years later, well, you remember that one time. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He says forget those things. Forget those things. I think much of the stuff we allow in our lives to tear away the relationships are really petty. they just things that build up over and over and over again. But, you know, if we are in Christ... If we are dead in Christ, it's kind of hard to offend a dead man. We must let it go. We must forgive and forget. And truly, if we apply God's definition here of choosing not to remember and compare that here with Paul telling us to forget the past, it easily goes hand in hand with forgiveness. In fact, if you cannot forget an an offense in the past, or that offense prohibits you from praying or being kind to that certain individual, there might be a lack of forgiveness there. There are, of course, parameters when we, when we must pay attention, that we must pay attention to. For example, if, um, let's see here, if I were to, John, John Sykes, if I were to tell him a secret, I'm just going to pick on you, it's just, it's, this didn't really happen. <laughs> if I were to tell you a secret last time I was here, two years ago, last time, and uh, it was a secret that I didn't want anybody to know. And then when I came here last time, hey, I heard about this. I heard about that. And you told everybody. I'm like, wow, I would forgive John. And I should forgive John. Now, that doesn't mean I have to tell him any more secrets. <laughs> but he can still be my friend. And it shouldn't affect my view of his character. Now, again, that didn't happen. I don't think it happened. I'll have to start asking some questions, maybe. <laughs> We are to forget those things in the past. And then back to that husband and wife thing, if that happened between me and John, I can't use that for ammunition later on. Well, remember that one time. We don't do that. We're supposed to forget the things in the past. Forget those things which are behind. Forgive and forget. And forgiving, I think we kind of hinted on this morning, forgiving is not just for the other person. It's for us. I shared this, the last time I preached this, I think, there was a man in my, it never really came to my church, so I witnessed to him outside of the church many, many times, and he was angry at something that happened, something significant that happened in his life, but he was like 17. He was older than I was at that time. I'm 49. He was older than I was when I was talking to him about these things. I believe he was older than me, maybe, around the same age anyway, but still bitter at his father, still angry at God for something, and his father was dead, and there's nothing to do about it. Just forgive and let go. He was one of the most bitter people I know. We must forgive, and it releases us. Forgetting our own sins is, is a good thing, too. I think of you know those folks in the Old Testament, those examples we get in the Old Testament, and none of us are perfect, and those folks who can overcome even their own sins. It's, it's quite a difficult. I mean, the old saying has been, you've heard it probably once or twice. If you knew my sins, you wouldn't come to church and listen to me. And if I were you, your sins, I wouldn't probably get up here either. But it really doesn't matter because we need to let all those things go. We are not to be defined by our mistakes, even our victories. We are to be defined by Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of 
identity in this world, identity changing and all those things like that. We are to be identified as Christians, as Christians. We must find our identity in him. You know, here in, here in this text here, Paul, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he lists his resume there in you know, 5 and 6, a Hebrew of the Hebrews and all those things like that. And depending on which side of Damascus, he'd have been proud of those things. On the other side, he'd be like, yes, look at me. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. On this side, he's like, all loss, all for the Lord, a loss for the cross. So whatever victories or failures that we have in the past, they're all under the blood. Forget the past. It cannot be changed. Learn from it, yes. Be controlled by it, no. Let it go. We must not be defined by the past. We must keep our eyes on the prize and keep our identity in Christ. Forget those things which are behind. And look at verse 13. We are to reach for the future. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first. We are to reach for the things that are before us. Look at verse 20. Our conversation, our citizenship, if you will, who we are, our identity even, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about looking ahead to something that's worth looking ahead for, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to tell you, we looked forward to this trip for a long time. We love the United States of America. We love Tennessee. We love this church. We look forward to this a very long time. And there were some events that happened just a day, a day or two before we got. And there was a chance we might have not even made this flight. And that made us very sad. But we just tried to stay focused and look for the Lord. We were looking forward to this. But more than looking forward to this, we have a, Jesus, we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised to return. That's something to look forward to. It should, it should blind everything else in this world, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 21. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You know, the return of Christ is by far the greatest thing before us. Meeting him face to face, is nothing's going to compare to that, to that. And not to move too far from that, but the more we focus on not the return of Christ, but the Christ of the second return, of course, but the more we focus on Christ in our daily walk, the more we stay in line with his daily walk for us, his agenda that he has for us, the more we run our race with fear. But back to that vile body part, in 1 John 3, 2, the Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. This is in this life. It, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for, he shall, for we shall see him as he is. And I don't know about you, but that, jet, that adds a little bit more excitement to the return of Christ. We're going to be like him. That means no more back pain, no more knee pain, no more you know, sleeping wrong on the wrong side all night long, no more any of that. We will be like him, and we can worship him with nothing holding us back. That's exciting. We are to reach for those things which are before us. But notice the contrast there. There's one word difference in those two things. Those things which are behind, those things which are before. One word difference. This is, of course, a forward movement for Christ. But the great thing about those things which are before us is they, have, they do have something in common with those things which are behind us. And that one thing is that they cannot be changed. Now, I'm not talking about the future, our future, 
like what we do on a daily basis. I'm talking about the future that's in the scriptures. We have an impact on our future. You are in charge of you. But we cannot change the past. We cannot change the past. But the scriptures cannot be changed either. I would submit to you that what's in this book is more sure than what's in our history books. Does that make sense? So what we look back in our past, however, even if you remember it exactly the way it was, that cannot be changed. Neither can the future that's written in this book. The scriptures cannot be broken. Christ will return. We will be changed. And that's reaching forward to something that will never move. But in contrast, those things which are behind are based on our works of righteousness. Those things which are before are based on his works of righteousness. And as First Peter 1, 4, or Second Peter 1, 4 states, those things before us, they are based on the exceeding great and precious promises given to us by God himself, promises that will not change. They are as sure as God's word, and they are more sure than the past. We can always count on the word of God. Don't fall for the tricks or skeptics out there. We can trust this book. It will never lead you astray. But not only are we to let go of the past, not only are we to reach for the future, but this is probably my favorite point here tonight, and this is our last point. We are to press in the present. Look at verse 13 and 14 again together. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. While this statement still looks forward, admittedly, Paul writes what he's currently doing. He's pressing. Pressing in the present. Pressing. One of the ways we may be pressing in the present is just by living this life to the fullest for the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically for us back in Germany, we are trying to press into Regensburg. I mentioned a little bit this morning. Regensburg is a city about 40 minutes from us. It's a population about like Clarksville's population, but it's very international. I mean, you can probably have at least 10 different nationalities there uh, in addition to German and Americans. Uh, But it's about 40 minutes, and we have about five families that drive 35 to 40 minutes to church every Sunday morning. And so we're trying to move our Sunday evening service to there to, to maybe even start a church. Who, who knows how that happens? But we have five families who are with us, and I believe God's opened a door to us to press forward there uh, to the international-speaking uh, people, the English-speaking people there in Regensburg, Germany. It's amazing that God would do that. We've been praying a long time for a German-speaking ministry to be in, in Regensburg, and there's one or two down there. And uh, we, we did some investigation, and we found some English-speaking churches down there um, a little different. I'll just leave it at that. There's a great need, I think, for the simplicity of the gospel. And uh, that's the reason those five, five or six families are driving forward uh, to us every morning. So God has opened a door for, for us to press forward there in Regensburg. Another door he's opened to us. It's very unique how God works. About um, right when COVID hit, I guess about the spring of 2019, I had the, the pleasure of leading a German man to the Lord who was an atheist. Uh, and through him, he works a lot with the refugees, so through him, I got to be in the houses and the homes, I don't know, five or six refugee families, and some of them are coming to our church, some of them have trusted Christ, some of them are are moving forward, and it started a, I don't know how you say it, but there is this, this, I don't know how you, how how do I even explain it, but for a long time, military churches and German ministries, it was like, not allowed to mix. 
It was just a thing that nobody did. And the pastor that was before me for a while tried to do that a little bit. He actually started some German, German churches uh, from this ministry here. But it was just, it never mixed. It was all American and maybe one or two Germans. And those one or two Germans were married to Americans. So it was a little bit different. God has opened a door here. When we look out into our audience here, there's Germans, there's Americans, there's, there's Malaysians, there's Indians, there's, there's Nigerians, there's folks from Ghana, there's folks from Sierra Leone. I mean, on and on and on, we have this mixture, which I think heaven's probably going to look like, and it's just great, and God has opened the door, and it all began with that man that, that trusted Christ there at our fellowship hall downstairs back in, in the spring of 2019. God is still working. And he allows us to press, to press, and to press. And sometimes, I love the story that you told with this, this, this convict here, how that, that minister went eight years every day, eight years every day. That's pressing. That's pressing. In fact, that word press, again, means to run or follow hard after. It's not like jogging. It's putting forth significant effort. We might say something like no pain or no gain, like a, a marathon runner who gives his plan to all. He has to measure that out. That word press carries with it the idea of pushing even in agony, spiritual fortitude maybe. In fact, that word is only used 44 times in the entire New Testament, and 31 of those times it's translated as persecute or persecution. That's the idea that Paul is getting out here. In other words, living for Christ is not effortless. I tell the folks in my church and remind myself many times that we cannot live a victorious Christian life on autopilot. It doesn't happen. We need to put forth effort. There's no such thing as, oh, I'm going to be a good Christian today and not do anything about it. We, that doesn't happen in any other walk of life. Why would it happen in our walk with the Lord? We must put forth effort. It's not effortless. If we are to have a faith that works, it must be a faith that works in the now, in the present, no matter what. We forget the past, we reach for the future, and we live in the now. We cannot change the past. We cannot predict the future outside of the scriptures, but we can be faithful in the now. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt we can be faithful in the now. God has empowered us to do so. We can be faithful in the now. We can always choose to do what is right, right now, always. The Bible states in Ephesians 5.16, this is one of the verses that really jumps out at me, and it's one that's, I spent 20 years in the military, and now this verse in the last five or six years has really started to mean a lot to me, but it says that we ought to redeem the time. We are to redeem the time. But, you know, we can't redeem the past. can't change it. We can't even do anything about the future, really, but we can redeem the present. We can redeem right now. So the Christian life is truly about living now, pressing in the present, being faithful now. And this pressing is easily understood, again, as living our all for the Lord Jesus Christ. I like to put it this way. Don't plan on getting right with God. Do it now. Repent now. Don't plan on getting right with others, with your mom or your dad or your, or your children. Don't wait. Do it now. Do it now. Don't plan on, this is just because I'm a missionary, don't plan on surrendering to full-time ministry. Do it now. That's not just because I'm a missionary. We should all have that mindset. Don't plan on it. Repent. Move forward. Press in the present. Forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things 
which are before, pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Again, he is worthy of our all. You know, and this one thing is true when we came back from America, or we came to America this time. It's been gone two years. America's changed. In two years, America's changed. There was some sadness, I think, when we came back. And us and me and my wife, we talked about it. And as to be honest with you, we landed in, in the East Coast, and it gets better as you come west. It starts to get worse again the farther west you go, but it's, it's pretty good here in Tennessee. It's not like back there. Um, and then Walmart's not 24 hours anymore. I don't know what's going on with that. America's changing. <laughs> but we are to press in the present. If there's ever a time that, at least in my life, when America needs, when the world needs genuine, authentic Christians, it's now. It is now. It's, it's time. It's past time to lay aside every weight. It's past time to lay aside those sins which easily beset us. And it's time now to run with patience the race that was set before us. I love your theme, looking unto Jesus. He's the prize, the author and finisher of our faith. The world desperately needs Christians who have counted all things loss. All of you. All of you. All things are loss for all of you, uh, for the cross. And he needs, the world needs it now. The world needs it now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in this short message, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you are high and lifted up, the Lord, that we've seen you in our hearts. We've seen you move among us, Lord. Help me and help us all, Lord, to count what we have a loss for the cross and help us to move forward. Help us to press forward because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our all, Lord. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.